0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, December 20th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. President Biden doesn't like high drug prices, so he wants to assert on behalf of the feds the power to give more than one company the ability to produce on patent drugs. But what would the actual impact of that be? And aren't there better ways to address the very real issue of expensive prescription drugs? Cato's Peter Van Doren and Michael Cannon discuss the issue. What is Joe Biden upset about with respect to the pricing of drugs that are produced in the United States? The president is responding to a widespread concern
1: that drug prices are excessive in the United States. They're excessive when you compare them to drug prices in other countries, or they're, they're high when you compare them to drug prices in other countries. And they are high when you compare them to drug prices not too long ago. You will often see Dramatic increases in the prices of drugs that are not just new drugs that are still under patent, but drugs that have been on the market for a while, will suddenly see large spikes in in price. And one of the things that strikes people as inequitable about this is that sometimes drug manufacturers do rely from government spending on basic research, then take that knowledge that the taxpayers generate. And profit off of that by developing drugs and getting them approved and marketing them for these very high prices. So President Biden is tapping into something that I think is very real that moves a lot of voters and something that does require some attention.
0: Uh, Peter, what does it cost to get drugs to market? We Presumably we have lots of drugs that never get to market because they're, the, the market was either small or the research didn't pan out, didn't go the way that the developers wanted it to. But ass- assuming all those costs, what does it cost to get a, a useful drug to market?
2: Recent articles in the literature suggest the cost of drugs, taking into account all the drugs that don't ever get to market, is somewhere between $1.5 and $2 billion per approved drug only 12% of the drugs that have done the science and then they enter clinical trials for testing on humans only 12% of those drugs ever see the market so drug prices you're paying for a lot of research and development that has not panned out and we can talk about the two parts of r&d mike and i can talk about that which is the science part versus the clinical trial part and we might want to differentiate Libertarians have different views about those two phases of R and D, and for purposes of discussion, the, the rough estimate is that the science part of research and development is about a third of costs, and the clinical trial portion is two thirds of costs. We have drug patents that protect companies'
0: profits, and you know, in light of what Peter just said, you might say you might understand that totally and just say, hey, look, they're spending all this money up front to get this drug approved. They need time to recoup that massive amount of spending uh, for a promising drug and probably four or five promising drugs, four of which didn't make it, and this one did. So what is wrong with that system? The patent system doesn't just protect drug
1: makers' profits. It creates the drug makers' profits. If it costs $2 billion to do all of the research and all of the development to go through all the regulatory hoops that you need to go through to get a drug to market. That means that that first pill costs $2 billion. But you know what? That second pill probably costs a dollar. And nobody wants to pay for the first pill. Everybody only wants to pay for the second pill. And if you didn't have a patent system in place or something like it, then nobody would pay for the first pill. they would only want to pay for the second pill, and so you wouldn't get a lot of those first pills. If you had a drug maker who did spend that two billion, or maybe it would be less without some of the regulations in the way but if you had a drug maker who made that investment, produced that two billion dollar pill, so other drugmakers could come rush into the market, make that pill, benefit from that knowledge that the first drug maker created, market that pill for one dollar. And that first drug maker would have no profits at all. So it is really the patent system that is creating those profits. It's a government intervention that is trying to correct the market failure that comes from the fact that the knowledge that the research and development generates is what we call a public good. It is non-rivalrous in consumption. And it is non-excludable. So the second drug maker can use that knowledge and, and make that pill. And what the economic literature suggests is that when it comes to pharmaceuticals, at least, the patent system does increase social welfare. It does generate uh, a lot of new knowledge that is worth the cost of the higher prices that we end up paying for drugs as a result. And that's all to the good. That does not mean, however, that the patent system is perfect. It does not mean that the patent system sets the patent lengths at exactly the right length to hit that spot on the uh, total social cost curve where it intersects with the demand curve. We might be getting too much innovation and it might be appropriate to scale back the patent system uh, or, the, or the length of patents or scale it back in some other way. And the sorts of prices and, and, and that, that we see sometimes prevailing in the market, especially when you compare them to the, the value of the drugs that are making it through the patent system and making it to market, those suggest that, you know, maybe we are erring a little too, the government is erring a little too much at encouraging too much innovation, and it would be appropriate and increase social welfare if they scaled back the patent system in some way.
0: All right, Peter, we have massive upfront costs, a high likelihood of failure to recover those costs when drugs are put through their paces in terms of, of testing and safety and efficacy. And you have a government created property right, temporary though it is, to help promote this useful art of developing new drugs. What would be better than that? It seems recovering these huge upfront costs, or perhaps not engaging in some of them, seems like likely avenues for. Trying to fix this system.
2: There are two proposals out there that have been floated, not just for drugs but for other innovation and R and D. One is something called prizes, right? The government announces if you are the first to invent and then fill in the blank a drug that does fill in the blank, you win fill in the blank, right? We, We so you have to fill in all those blanks, and then. In effect, the government through taxes funds the prizes, and then the likelihood is that the knowledge, the the winner gets the prize, and then the knowledge exists. And then as Michael said, the second pill, right, the pills and drugs produced under that system would be closer to what economists call marginal cost, the price of production rather than the price of production plus a whole lot of R&D. So that's one possibility. The second is actual public funding of R&D and trials. That is, we take the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, and we expand both their intramural budget, the money they spend on government scientists, and the monies they disperse to others to do R&D, which is the bulk of their budget. And we publicly fund that knowledge. And then we change the patent law so that that knowledge is not patentable, right that that the knowledge for pharmaceutical r and d, both the clinical trial side and the science side, they're publicly funded. So those are the so we have the current system. we might have a prize system, and we could theoretically have public funding of public goods
1: and as important as it is to look at the patent system, see whether it needs adjustment, see whether we should get rid of it in favor of a prize system like Peter discussed or two Cato adjunct scholars discussed in a book that we released in 2018. The title of the book is Overcharged. And they lay out example after example of the patent system, encouraging drug makers, enabling drug makers, not just patents, but other types of market exclusivities that the government offers, encouraging drug makers to jack up prices for drugs. For example, when Martin Shkreli Increase the price of Daraprim from thirteen fifty a pill to seven hundred and fifty dollars per pill. We saw similar price increases with EpiPens, and we seen them with insulin and and other drugs. Those are all. So it, it's important to look at those and decide and, and try to figure out how we should adjust and wh- whether we should keep the patent system. Those are all valid debates we should be having. But the patent system is not the only thing that the government does to increase drug prices, and. There are much worthier targets for the president and Congress if they want to restrain drug prices. And the number one target, I think, is how insensitive the government has made consumers to prices for their medications. By encouraging excessive health insurance through the tax code, through government programs, and other mechanisms, the government makes consumers not care nearly as much about prices as they would if they were the ones controlling the money and they got to see the savings from shopping around. And you can see this in one study that my colleague Jeff Singer and I did called Drug Reformation. We present data about what happened to the prices of hormones and oral contraceptives after Obamacare mandated 100% coverage for all FDA-approved contraceptives. Prices for hormones and oral contraceptives had been falling in real terms until the government mandated 100% coverage. And then from May of 2013 until 2019, the prices not only stopped falling relative to inflation, but began to rise so rapidly, they outpaced the prices for other prescription drugs and they doubled over that six-year period because the drug makers knew their customers didn't care about price anymore and the insurance companies are not very good price negotiators. And we see this happening in all sorts of areas of healthcare, but all with all sorts of pharmaceuticals. And that's, I think, the main reason why the prices for drugs in the United States are so out of line with other countries. There are other reasons like trade barriers, but it's also why, and this does, I think, shed a light on reason to think that the patent system needs adjustment. There is evidence that suggests that $2 billion pill that the drug company created and then marketed and got to charge high prices, you know, more than a dollar anyway, because they have patent protection there's evidence to suggest that some of those pills aren't even worth $2 billion. They aren't we're producing $2 billion worth of value. And so the patent system should not be encouraging drug makers to invest in, in, in those and market those pills. But the fact that consumers are so insensitive to the price means that they have an incentive to do so. So we could actually correct some of the problems that the, the, the patent system is abetting by changing who controls the $4.5 trillion in our health sector let the consumers control that money, make them sensitive to price. They will demand lower prices for pharmaceuticals, and that will solve most of the problem that
0: President Biden is trying to solve. And I want to talk about what President Biden is trying to do. But Peter, you, know, you, you laid out the costs of developing a new, successful, marketable drug, two-thirds of which you said was the clinical pr- trial process that takes many years to get through. That would seem to set a revenue floor for a lot of pharmaceutical companies to say, well, if the market for this drug is small enough, it's not heart disease, it's not cancer, it's not any of these afflictions that a large number of Americans might suffer from and be willing to pay for, we're just not going to do any work in trying to address that problem. So it seems like this billion dollars and eight years of the clinical trial process seems like a, a very expensive endeavor and one that might keep a
2: lot of low-key innovation from occurring. This is showing up, I can think, well, one in particular is an, new antibiotics. We may have a crisis in antibiotics in that antibiotics are used for short periods of time uh, the the model that Caleb described is correct. And thus, the, the drug R&D world is now skewed towards finding things that older people need for a long period of time that will be funded by Medicare Part D. And antibiotics that are used for seven days are... So that's not where research and development activities is concentrated currently. And there's now separate discussions in the Congress and the administration about this, the antibiotic crisis. So that's one manifestation of what you are describing.
1: The problem you've identified there, Caleb, is a very real one that affects a lot of small patient populations. If it costs $2 billion to get a drug through the FDA's approval process, then if that, a pharmaceutical company is, is going to have very little incentive to invest in the R&D and the uh, regulatory compliance costs in order to help small patient population. Congress is aware of that. They responded to it by creating the Orphan Drug Act, which offers additional market exclusivities if a drug meets certain criteria that it would help a small patient population. And that is, you know, another use of basically the patent system. And it's one way to address that problem. Another way to address that problem is To stop making it so costly to get through the FDA's approval process so that it doesn't cost $2 billion. Maybe it costs $1 billion. Maybe you let people decide how much testing they will demand before they will use a pill, how much let them decide for themselves the trade off between the potential gains of a new medication and the risks from not having more information about its safety and efficacy profile. The FDA doesn't let people make that decision for themselves. The FDA says, we have a $2 billion process. You have to go through that. You have no other choice. You can come beg us to get around that process, but we're probably not going to to let you. So Congress is trying to address that problem in one way, but it is an approach that does
0: fuel high drug prices. And there are other ways of doing it, and I think better ways. So Joe Biden wants to, in his words, march in and compel lower prices for drugs that some agency or some body has determined are just too high.
1: It's an interesting question about whether he's marching in or whether he's compelling lower prices in this case. I think that he has argued for price controls uh, on prescription drugs uh, outside of this context. In this case, I believe what he's doing is having the government sort of march out a little bit. The government creates the patent system. Says we are going to block everyone, all other entrants from the market, in, in order to let you recoup your your investment in R and D. Uh, but what President Biden is proposing is to block fewer people from competing with you, and to license your patent to someone else, so that there can be a competitor. Which you can see why you might want to call it marching in, because it makes it sound like we're taking action here and we're being an activist government. But really, it would require it would involve fewer restraints on market actors' ability to enter the market and compete with the patent holder.
0: And so if I'm a rational pharma company that makes big bets on what drugs to develop, what drugs not to develop, what drugs to send through the trial process, what drugs not to do that, it makes that bet less sure. Is that right? It definitely does
1: because you don't know what the authority who decides on what, what, whether prices are excessive or not, is going to think about the prices that you're setting for your drug. And, and this, is, this is something that you know, I think it's important to keep in mind when we're talking about the, the patent system and drug pricing is if it costs $2 billion to bring that pill to market, there's this sort of idea out there that drug makers set the prices for their drugs so they'll hit that $2 billion target. That's not how they do it at all. They set their prices at whatever they think will maximize their revenue. And if that's a very high price, they will set it as high as they think they can get away with without ending up on the front page of the newspaper causing a scandal because the price is so excessive. And so that's what they're thinking. And now, under President Biden's proposal, they wouldn't have to just worry about, okay, what are the newspapers going to say? They'd have to worry about what is this government agency going to say? And if they end up setting it higher than this government agency likes, then the consequences are much worse than if it ends up on the front pages of the newspaper. So if the President and Congress implemented this proposal, that that would make them very nervous, which I think which is why I think the first thing that the drug companies did when President Biden made this announcement was they sent out all of their lobbyists in force to Capitol Hill and say, this is a terrible idea and you can't do this.
2: We have some experience with this. In the early AIDS drug era, there were a similar discussion about NIH R D. And the government paid for this, and then taxpayers are being charged twice. There was authority granted to restrain the price of AIDS drugs in the 80s and and early 90s. And this was quietly dropped in 1995 because the the secretary of HHS had concluded that it didn't work. But we're forgetting all that. So this, Michael's right, this game of we want you to do all this and we want to be the best at R&D in the world. And we're risk averse. So we don't want to allow things on the market where things might go south. And that all adds up to a big bill. And now we're trying to figure out somebody to pay for it and no one notices, right? I mean, and so it's um, difficult. So Biden's under pressure. I mean, there's politics going on here, which is Elizabeth Warren, right? This is a Warren, Bernie Sanders proposal. And Biden's worried about young people and the left of the party not voting in 2024. So some of that, I think, is going on. It's not clear to me he actually, in his soul, wants this to happen. He's a, a centrist, a more centrist Joe Biden from Scranton kind of Democrat. So if he were here and we were interviewing him, I'd, no one was listening, he might say he's not really for what he just proposed. I just want to bring up one other thing, but Michael's talked about the pill we we need to talk i think about pills versus biologics uh, the a lot of the increased prices are for drugs that aren't what we call small molecules they're not chemicals they are proteins they are uh, or these mrna virus uh, vaccines like for covid these things are they're much more complicated and thus creating competition for them, which we now have under the current laws, after patents expire, even though, as Michael said, the games about that go on, the, the ability to, as we go to more biologics and fewer small molecules, the difficulties that Michael and I have been talking about today, I think are only going to get worse because the drugs are more expensive and it's much more difficult to introduce generic biologics to, to increase competition on that front. Even the libertarian scholars that have written in my magazine, Regulation, they've cautioned us to worry about, as we go more and more into biologics, the puzzles about competition grow.
0: Peter Van Dorn is editor of Regulation magazine. Michael Cannon directs health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please. Thank you for listening.